You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 155. I don't know why, Mark, but that seems like a really high number. It does seem like a high number. And speaking of high numbers, high five you and Colin, y'all launched Oil & Gas Startups. We did, but it's been two days now since it's been launched. Obviously, it'll be probably about five or six days by the time this actually gets out. Super excited about you know the reception that we've gotten so far. We've gotten a lot of five-star reviews and ratings and stuff. So love for you guys to go check it out. Let us know what you think. If you know anybody that you love to see on the show or if you run a company, whether it's an ENP, a tech startup, something, and you think that you have a great story to tell, just feel free to reach out to us. Yeah. And if you go listen to the show, which I actually went and listened, right? And they're great. Leave them a review. It takes a couple of minutes. And in this very early stage of the podcast, if you want to support Jake and Colin, the number one thing you can do to support them is leave a review on iTunes. So please, existing audience, even if you don't like Jake and Colin, which I don't know how you cannot like them, go listen to their show. Their show well, is really haters, good. trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I got them too. So, and just leave them a review. Let's help, let's help them get this thing. Let's help them knock it out the park with this because it's a really good show. Uh, speaking of good shows, we got a review, Jake. Great show from Oil. Express. Mark and Jake do a great job providing high-level updates and newsworthy events in the oil and gas industry, along with informed commentary and interpretation. So big shout out, uh, Oilfield Express. Thank you for the review. We sincerely appreciate it. If you would like to support this show after you leave a review for Jake and Colin's new show, Oil and Gas Startups, leave us a review in iTunes for this show. We'd really appreciate it. Ready to get the news stories? Yep. All right. So obviously we've seen oil prices have hit a four-year high. I think we got as high as 85 for Brent and was it 75 for the WTI. We've seen a little volatility over the past few days. It's dropped down about another five bucks. So global economists are kind of thinking, you know, that we may be trending towards $100 oil. You know, so just this year alone, we've surged more than 25%. And so investors are betting on a return to triple digits could be just around the corner. So who are the likely winners and losers at $100 oil? You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, it seems like 70 to $75 oil, kind of everybody wins. But as the price goes up, that doesn't necessarily stay the same. So Trump's administration is scheduled to impose some crude sanctions against Iran on November 4th. And those sanctions are widely expected to have an immediate impact on, obviously, I mean, Iran is OPEC's third largest producer. So we're, we're kind of curious to see exactly how that is going to affect the market. They're saying that it's going to take anywhere from half a million barrels per day up to 2 million barrels per day offline in the coming weeks. And so, Mark, well, first off, I guess my first question is, how do you feel like this is going to affect, obviously, global prices? And then secondly, who do we think is going to be winning and who's going to be losing at $100 oil? Yes. Yeah, so I don't think it's going to hit $100. And if it does, it's going to be a short time period. The thing that they don't talk about in this article is what type of crude this is. This is heavy, complex crude. This is the stuff the U.S. refineries love. So what I think is going to happen is as we inch up in price, you're going to see other heavy, complex crudes that aren't cost-effective be able to enter the market. So think of things like oil sands. And if the poor country of Venezuela ever gets their act together and gets a new government in there, even some Venezuela production. So I think you'll see as it inches up, you'll see the heavy complex crude from Canada enter the market and grab some market share. But I also think you'll see Texas go, you know what? Let's just ramp up some more production. You know, we got enough oil, enough hydrocarbons sitting in the ground that nobody's tapped into yet. So you hear people talk about ducks, you know, that sort of stuff. This will actually financially incentivate them to actually go in production. So I think one of the things that you can see happen as prices keep ratcheting up is you can see more production from other parts of the world into the market to take up that space. And who wins at $100 a barrel? Everybody that sells oil. Who loses? Everybody has to buy oil. 
So that's where that's going. So, you know, the U.S. would win at $100 a barrel. The OPEC would win at $100 a barrel. Russia would win at $100 a barrel. And then the countries that would be hurt by it, countries like, you know, Japan and, and Mexico and India and, and, and China, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see where this thing goes. I'll go on record saying now I don't think it would hit $100. And I'm going to go on record saying I hope you're wrong because obviously we operate now. So <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's going to keep climbing. Though. I really do think the rest of this year it's going to keep itch, itching up slowly but surely. Yep. So to be determined, let's, obviously this is what everybody watches. So we'll keep you guys posted on that. Next, GE share soar after complete after GE completely dumps John Flannery, CEO. So John Flannery was CEO and chairman for I don't know how long. I think it was a, a year or so. Maybe a little bit longer, but pretty much to kind of give you guys a little bit of context, he was saying that they wanted to completely sell off Baker Hughes and wanted to completely remove themselves from oil. And they wanted to focus on the medical aviation and renewable energy portions of their business. We kind of still see some talk about them either either selling Baker Hughes GE or just maybe separating as a completely separate company. I'm not really sure exactly what that looks like. So obviously, this isn't necessarily oil and gas news, but I think it could have some implications for Baker Hughes, like I mentioned. Mark, what's your take? Yeah, well, so people don't know this, but GE at some point back around 1999-ish was one of the largest companies in the world. It's worth over $600 billion back then. They've taken a steady decline. Leadership changes were needed. Do I think GE will sell off Baker Hughes? Yes. Do I think it's a good idea? No. I think it's it's GE going to shoot itself in the foot with that one. And Baker Hughes is just blowing and going right now in the Permian, and they're doing very well. They're doing very well globally. They've won a bunch of awards, a bunch of big contracts. I think it'd be silly for GE to walk away from them. I think GE will do it, however. I think they'll do it from a public relations point of view. Quite frankly, their new CEO needs to come in and speed things up. What's hurt GE and the reason that their CEO got laid off is they move so slow. And all big companies move slow, but GE has to be one of the worst. And they have to learn how to be more nimble in this constant change in business world that we're in. Even if they exit with Baker Hughes, the rest of their business, their power gen, their turbine business, their medical, all that sort of stuff, the pace of change of technology is getting faster and faster and faster. And if Baker, I mean, if GE can't figure out how to speed up the way they do business, they're, they're just slowly, slowly, slowly bleed to death. And so, you know, I didn't see this coming quite honestly. I don't pay attention to what goes on at the GE, the corporate company. I do pay a lot of attention to what's going on at Baker Hughes GE. So let's hope the new CEO with the board support can actually get some changes implemented and they can start moving at a, at a faster pace. So speaking of Baker Hughes, the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, aka Adnoc, is partnering with Baker Hughes to turn Adnoc drilling into a fully integrated drilling and well construction provider. So we've got some news on this deal. It says that Baker Hughes GE is buying a 5% interest in Adnoc drilling for $550 million, placing the subsidiary's value at $11 billion. Yeah, so think about this, Jake. You have Baker Hughes GE, and the only reason I'm able to say this properly, because for years it was two separate companies, <laughs> is that I was in Midland, I gave a keynote there for Baker Hughes GE, and it was drilled to me to call them Baker Hughes GE, not Baker Hughes. Think about this, Jake. This, this is Baker Hughes GE buying a piece of a drilling company. Baker typically works for the drilling company. So remember a long time ago, we talked about how the basic businesses in oil and gas is changing the, the models, right? Where all of a sudden service companies may become operators and operators may become service companies. Here's a perfect example of that. And talk about bringing Abu Dhabi National Oil Company into the forefront when they have the technical might of Baker Hughes GE and then their ability to drill all over the world. I really think this is going to step them up and they're going to be a major player. So 
I think everybody should keep a really close eye on this. I think this is a, a marriage that is going to benefit both companies. And, and I think it's going to change the business model a little bit in our industry, which is a good thing. Yeah. They're saying that the partnership aims to deliver more competitive well completion times, greater drilling efficiencies, and better well economics, leveraging the improvements to seek, obviously, new business opportunities. So Adnock Drilling currently operates 60 land rigs, 20 jackup rigs, and 11 island rigs. And it remains the sole rig provider to Adnock. Yeah. And so, so Baker just got some more business in the Middle East locked in, basically. And they have, they have, they have a large presence there already. So good for them. All right. So let's talk about a little bit of M&A. So offshore drillers, Insco and Rowan to combine in $2.4 billion merger. So it's actually Insco buying out Rowan. And so the merger will result in a combined enterprise value of $12 billion. They will span six continents and every, nearly every major deep water and shallow water basin around the world, including the Gulf of Mexico, Brazil, West Africa, North Sea, the Mediterranean, Middle East, Southeast Asia, and Australia. So the company will, the combined company will own 82 rigs, including 28 floaters, of which 25 are ultra deep water and 54 jackups, with a combined backlog worth $2.7 billion. And this places the combined company only second behind Transocean. So it's funny, Jake, you and I, because we're in this industry, we look at this and go, oh, eh, $12 billion. <laughs> That's not a very big. And, and the truth is, in any other vertical other than oil and gas, a $12 billion, a new company worth $12 billion out the gate would be enormous. In our industry, it's, it's actually kind of small. The good thing about this is it's going to give the new company the ability to compete with Transocean because they're going to have scope and they're going to have reach. And that is good for our industry because it's going to keep cost down from drilling, right? And it's going to keep innovation up. Both of these companies have suffered a lot in this downturn we're pulling out of. Both these companies are coming out with new, coming out the downturn with new, more technology, more higher horsepower rigs. And it's changing the business models in the offshore drilling space. So I, I think you can see a new lean company come out of this. I think ca- competition with Transocean's would keep both companies lean. I think you can see operators because of this new leanless in drilling could be able to be profitable in areas offshore that they weren't just a few years ago. So that leads to jobs and, and prosperity for everybody. So I think, think this was a good thing to happen. We knew it was going to happen. I mean, you and I have talked about this for a couple of years now about how all these different contractors that operate in the deep water, ultra deep water, they're just there. There's no business there. And so things like mergers and acquisitions are just going to happen and it's going to continue to happen. You know, that, that deep water and ultra deep water still has not come back. You know, you're watching the subsea manufacturers try to figure out how to deal with this new lean world that they are forced to operate in it, which they have never had to do that before or not to the degree they're having to do it now. You're seeing the operators look at things like standardization. So, you know, this is a good merger to have happened. A lot of people kept their jobs through this merger. The layoffs weren't as bad as you thought they would be. So keep an eye on them and see how they compete with Transocean moving forward. Do you think that Insco and Transocean could potentially merger? I think you will see that. And people, please, I'm not a stock investor. Please don't don't buy stock based on, on what I think. But But I really do think that probably about 2020, Right. 2021. I think that will at least be on the table if it doesn't happen outright. Let's stay tuned. So, yeah. So it's funny you mentioned the, uh, you know, oh, it's only, uh, you know, $12 billion in enterprise value. Well, the next article is Marathon Petroleum Corp has completed its $23.3 billion acquisition of San Antonio based Endeavor. 
earlier this month. So the deal creates the largest refining company in the United States in terms of capacity. So Marathon Petroleum now controls 16 refiners in the U.S. with a combined throughput capacity of 3 million barrels per day, in addition to owning and operating more than 16,000 miles of pipeline and more than 11,000 retail gas stations. So that includes the Galveston Bay Refinery on the Houston Ship Channel, the second largest U.S. refinery based on its 571,000 barrels per day capacity, and the Galveston Bay Refinery employs about almost 2,000 people. This is huge news. That's one big-ass company. Yeah, th- this is now the largest refining company in the U.S., right? Overnight, boom. And once again, it gives them reach. It gives them scope. It gives them leverage. You're going to see them start signing some very long-term deals for supply. A lot of that oil and gas will keep coming out of West Texas. You can see this spur infrastructure projects, so storage pipelines. This is good. This is good for everybody, and it's so good for everybody. The two companies, the shareholders of two companies, almost hugged and kissed each other. They they pushed this deal but on both sides through so quickly. Everybody voted to approve it. It was only one vote. Uh, shareholders got a, a good value for their for their their shares, and so I expected something like this to happen. This happened quicker than I thought it was going to happen. But you know, now you're you're looking at somebody that has the biggest refining capacity in the U.S. I su- sincerely suspect this is not the last acquisition we're going to see from Marathon in the next year or so in this space. I think they're going to use this as a springboard, pick up a couple other mid-sized refiners in the U.S. and just keep their market lead. I think what's so I'm kind of a big history buff, especially as it pertains to oil. And I think what's so interesting is about it is I don't know if many people know, but Marathon was a part of Standard Oil until it was you know broken in in 1911, and obviously all the companies were were kind of dispersed. And so it's just funny that you know they were a part of Standard Oil, and now they're kind of getting back to this point. Obviously, all the, all the other parts, you know, the Exxon Mobil and the Chevron, all the other big guys too. But it's just so funny to kind of see them become you know the largest refiner in the U.S. again. But you know, Jake, that repeats itself. It's, um, I got my start a gazillion years ago in oil and gas in telecom with Old Bell South, which was a split up of Ma Bell, right? So the, the government split up Ma Bell, the original AT&T into sub parts. I worked for one of those parts for a long time called Bell South. And guess who ended up buying us, you know, 50 years after they were split up? AT&T. Right. So, so, you know, do I think that the old standard oil will come back? Never. Do I think Exxon has its sights set on buying up its competitors and then growing larger? Hell yeah. You know, so we, it won't ever get back there, but I absolutely 100% believe that Exxon Mobil's out there right now with a bunch of cash looking to see who they can pick up and, and they will continue to grow. I, I think we're going to enter to, in our lifetime, we're going to enter to a new world where it's not just super majors, majors, and independents. I think you're going to have the super, super majors. I think Shell and Exxon are going to pull so far ahead of, of Chevron and BP and Total that it's just could be another class of, of company. I think you'll see definitely Exxon hit $1 trillion in value in our lifetime. And I actually expect it to happen probably in the next 10 years. You know, good for Marathon. Let's keep our eye on this. You know, the merger and acquisition world in oil and gas, we think is just just hitting its stride. We think it's going to keep picking up. So kind of go back to one of the, the first articles you're talking about with the Iran sanctions. This next article kind of dives into China's importers of liquefied petroleum gas, LPG, started to pay higher prices for procuring the fuel in recent months as Chinese buyers are looking to source LPG from suppliers other than the United States and Iran. So China was slapped with a 25% tariff on US LPG in one of the trade kind of moves at the end of August and has subsequently cut off LPG from the United States, which was one of its key suppliers of fuel last year. So there actually has not been a single shipment of LPG since August from the United States to China. 
Yeah, this is interesting. I think this is almost a bluffing match. This is interesting. They need our natural gas. We can supply it cheaper than anybody in the world, and we can supply it in a volume that nobody else can supply it in, and we could do it consistently. I think this is a scare tactic. I think this is what the Chinese are hoping to do is scare the LNG exporters in the U.S. to cause some political unrest to see if they can get the tariffs over the sanctions removed. And I don't think it's going to happen. In fact, I know it's not going to happen. I think eventually you'll see China come back and buy our LNG. Now, in order to save face, because in the Chinese culture, that's really important, they'll buy it through a third party so they can honestly say they're not buying it from the U.S., they're buying it from whoever who's then buying it from the U.S. But I just think this is a negotiation tactic. This would be almost like the city of New York going, hey, we don't want any electricity or steam in our city. I mean, it, it just it runs the city, and you can only, you know, not have that type of energy coming in for X amount of time. Now, now China still has conventional coal-powered plants. They have a lot of crude reserves, and they're out in the world, you know, brokering deals with governments all over the place to be able to drill for oil and gas. But there's a gap in between what they can produce and feed their country and what they need. And right now, we're filling that gap. And I think even with this tit-for-tat move, I think we'll eventually – Regrab this market. If and, and honestly, I don't think we've lost it all. Like I said, I think it's a negotiation move. I think they'll figure out a way to keep buying it from us in a way that allows them to save face. It is going to be interesting to see what happens with our current political administration not budging and with the Chinese not government not budging. Somebody has to budge soon. I think it's going to be China. So we'll see. And last article is not specifically oil and gas related, but. Houston Exponential is a, a nonprofit aimed at growing Houston's tech innovation ecosystem. So they just closed their first $25 million round for a fund to fund designed to bolster the city's tech scene. So Mark, I'm sure you know that Houston didn't even make it on the short list for Amazon's new facility. And so I guess the mayor and the rest of the city was kind of butthurt about that. And so they've, they've started Houston Exponential. And so the goal of this is to actually bring, so they're going to, they're going to, fund funds that are outside of Houston to bring venture capitalists into Houston and, and investing into startups in this space. And what I thought was interesting about this article is that some of the LPs in this fund are Chevron, Shell, and Westlake Chemical Corp. So that just shows you that these guys are, are looking to heavily invest into the ecosystem here by bringing, bringing some outsiders in, some new, hopefully innovative funds to put it into the local ecosystem, especially the tech scene. Obviously, a big part of the tech scene here in Houston is going to be the oil and gas scene. So, and I'm sure if you want to learn more about the texting oil and gas, you can listen to the oil and gas startups podcast. I just want to say this is, this is right in your world. You know, I've always wondered, Jake, why there's not more of a startup scene here in Houston. We have everything I would think you would need. We have two international airports. It's a very cheap place to live. There's a large book of talent here. There's investment money. You have very large industries headquartered right here. Oil and gas, aerospace, department of defense, you know, the port, medical. And so I, I don't get it why the startup scene, you know, skips Houston and goes to Austin or, you know, it's in Silicon Valley or in Israel. Why is that a cultural thing you think? I think it's it's partially cultural, but I think we've never had necessarily the infrastructure or leaders kind of spearheading that until recently. I'll I'll give Lawson Gowie a free shout out. He's a CEO over the Canon. Obviously, you know, we office here at the Canon now and we've been hosting our happy hours here. But I think what he's doing with the Canon is so much bigger than just co-working space. You know, he's working alongside the city. He's working alongside venture capital firms outside of Houston and bringing them in. Obviously, he's giving them a space to, you know, kind of house, for example, Capital Factory is going to have a location here at the Canon in the new building. And so now that opens up so much to, to Houston startups who wanted to participate in Capital Factory's accelerator, but didn't have the ability or necessarily need or want to, to move to Austin. Now they can do it directly here in Houston. And so I think things like that are 
it's what the city needs. And I think we're going to see a tremendous amount of growth in the startup sector. And obviously we're going to see a bunch here in the, in the oil and gas space as well. Yeah. And I, I think, I think the, I think culturally it's changing and I think all this is kind of new to, it's new to Houston. We're seeing a lot more of exposure for this type of thing. It's been around in Austin for a while. Obviously it's been around Silicon Valley for decades, but I think we're, we're heading in the right direction. And I think we have a, a few great leaders who are spearheading that. And so it's a really exciting time to kind of be in this space. Yeah. So what I'm hoping, because it's so easy to do business here compared to like California, what I'm hoping is that as we go down this route, and as we get more mature in this startup entrepreneur space in Houston, that California, the companies here just go screw it. We just all move to Texas. It just makes more sense. You know, and we have that built into our economy as well. I mean, that would be really cool to be the oil and gas epicenter of the universe and the startup <laughs> center of the universe at the same time. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, whenever the, this new building at the Cannons, you know, done, I, I just see it as being this, this this boom and bustle, startups running everywhere, a whole bunch of them being oil and gas startups. I just see there being a lot of excitement, a lot of great events coming out of that. So, yeah, man, it's a good time to be a part of this scene. Yeah, and you and Collins Operating Company is now headquartered there. You and Collins Consulting Company is now headquartered there. You and Collins Podcast is now headquartered there. Why don't you just move in? Oh, I, we we're here. And it's funny you mentioned that they're actually planning on building on-site living space. On-site living space, yeah, and so little apartments. They're planning on building um, hotel, restaurants. They have a movie theater. They've got a library, a church, a whole bunch of other things. So it's it's not just a co-working space, but it's going to be a complete campus to where you really never have to leave. And they're such good people over there. I mean, I, you know, hats off to them. They really are just a good crew. And we know that we'll be doing our happy hours there. We're continuing to do our happy hours there. Y'all are headquartered there. More great stuff to come with between us and the Canyon, I'm sure. Let's go to the Red Wing spot since we're finished the news articles. So we quit announcing the winners, but we're still giving away a bag. Every week, people are still fight over this darn thing. Jake and I had somebody at one of the happy hours come up and said his client had won. And could he please make sure to tell us thank you? And you're welcome, but we don't actually make these bags. And we have nothing to do with them who wins them. We have no control. It's an independent third party that Red Wing hires to do that. But if you'd like to win one, it's really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Enter your information. You could do this every week. We choose one lucky winner. See official site for rules and details. And then Jake, what's our rig count doing? So the drilling info rig count for the week is 1150. Good solid number. Not bad at all. And Jake mentioned this earlier, our events, we have our monthly uh, Oil & Gas Super Happy Hour. It's uh, this Tuesday, October 30th. Cindy Lee had a big shout out to her. She finally upgraded the, the Oil & Gas Global Network website. You can now go. There's a link called Events. We'll put a link in these show notes where you can just go see the calendar and see where we're doing our happy hours. Right now, they're only in Houston, but I'm telling you, audience, we got a bunch of them coming to different cities near you for 2019. And then if you'd like to find out about these events plus more, I got a monthly newsletter we kick out once a month. Sign up for it. It's absolutely free. We take all the oil and gas events and put them in your inbox for your enjoyment. Then if you'd like Jake and I to come speak at your sales or marketing kickoff, which is something that you should be planning for if you lead a sales or marketing organization, let us know. If you're a university, reach out to us. Let know. We love to come talk to universities. In fact, I think we're going to be back at Tulane, I think the beginning of 2019. We've got a couple other universities there as well. Your company event, your conference, your schools. I mean, Jake and I just came back. We spoke at the Weatherford booth at SPE, ATCE. I'm sorry, we didn't speak. We actually brought our podcast there. So yeah, there's a bunch of ways you can interface with us. If you'd like to uh, explore that, uh, reach out to Jake and I. I'll be happy to share the details. And then first Friday Q&A, 
We do this every month. We don't always get it out on the first Friday, but we record, try to record it by the first Friday. And if you have any questions you want uh, to ask Jake and I, it's a very, go to oilandgasthisweek.com, click on ask a question. And if we read your question on there, you get a big shout out. While you're there, give us your email address. We promise not to spam you. We have some marketing help, Jake, that you don't know coming on board. So I'm hoping that in the next couple months, we start kicking out some really high quality information for the people that are on our email list. And once again, a promise never to spam you. And then the LinkedIn group, Microsoft, I think, is doing a good job. There's some changes going on in the groups. They're getting better. Uh, so go join our LinkedIn group. Just type in OGGN. We pop up right away. Whew, that's a lot. Anything else you want to talk about, Jake? No, I mean, that's it. All right, let's get out of here. So remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.